Well, good morning, Woodside. How are you? It's a great morning. It's getting cold. Anyone enjoying that weather? Yeah. Twelve of you. It's awesome. I'm not looking forward to it too much. It's been a beautiful fall, and I've loved every minute of it. It's been great. The only thing good about it is it's time to celebrate Christmas and decorate your house. Amen. Fifteen of you and me are already decorating, listening to Christmas music, engaging. Christmas is a season. Thanksgiving is a holiday, a day. Just throw that out there for you. Um, but no, it's great to have you this morning uh, with us. I'm going to, if you would like to, if you turn to John 16, that's where we're going to be. I just wanted to, I, I do this every month or maybe a couple of months, just a family conversation. If you're brand new this Sunday, you're joining us online, you're not normatively a part of our church, this is not necessarily for you. You can listen. You can go on Instagram if you want to or whatever, but I'd love for you to listen. But it's more of a family conversation for us, always trying to, be for transparency's sake and for, uh, for us as a church, to always let you know where things are and where we're at as a church. The last couple of months, I've talked about our budget need, where we're at financially. Woodside at a whole is doing very well financially. Our budget here at our campus, um, we're, we made some amazing headway the last couple of weeks in our, in our gap. Uh, we're about $100,000 behind budget going into the end of the year. As I've shared, my heart is that we would kind of help shore that up towards the end of the year. It's amazing. Uh, uh, last weekend, if you notice, I wasn't here. Uh, my brother John preached. I heard he did a great job. I watched online. I was actually down um, at a missions conference uh, with a global missions partner that we, uh, we support heavily. It's who I was in Tanzania with back in March. They're called TTI, the Timothy Initiative, and they're literally changing the world. I mean, literally changing the world. And in one weekend... Uh, that weekend, they raised about $8 million uh, to actually push forward the kingdom of God globally, literally all over the world, planting hundreds of churches literally every day, a little bit different than our churches here. And I heard someone say something that really convicted me about my own like uh, participation in the kingdom of God uh, with what the resources that God's given me. He said, and oftentimes we talk about tithing, 10%, giving God 10%. And he said, I think that's a very skewed perspective. At the end of the day, all of it is God's. He just entrusts us to keep 90 of it to steward for the kingdom of God every single day. And we kind of oftentimes, myself included, for my own confessional here before all of you, oftentimes I think like, yeah, I, I have to give God 10%. And no, the perspective is it's all God's already. I'm just giving some of it back to his kingdom movement. And then the rest of it I steward for the rest of the kingdom Movement. I just thought that that really pressed into my own heart and soul and where I'm at and where God is leading our family to be generous as well. Because it's not just about you, we are a family here together and uh, what God's doing. And even the movement that I was there celebrating and our church was there because we give a large sum of money, um, lots of money towards this organization to push forward the kingdom of God all over the world. And when you give on a Sunday morning or online generously, there is a huge portion of that that goes to changing people's lives and spreading the gospel all over the world, not just here. And uh, oftentimes I get to see it. You don't always get to see it. Um, but that's where I would challenge you. At the end of the day, we just rolled on a couple of weeks ago, global missions trips. If you're a if teenage daughter here in this room, I'm leading a trip with my daughter to Nepal to another organization we have that, that rescues uh, women from being trafficked from Nepal to India and uh, shares the gospel. And sees. So to press in, maybe it would be great for you to see some of that where your financial stewardship is going to change the world. So maybe this 
fall or now you'd go and look and say, man, where is it that I could go and jump in to be able to see how God's not just working here? Because oftentimes we look around and we're like, man, this, this place is burning to the ground. God is moving in radical form all over the world. Radical form. And oftentimes we don't always get to see it here. And so I'd press in to engage maybe in a global trip that you might be able to see where your generosity is changing the world. Um, all right, John 16 is where we're at today. Uh, if you haven't been around, if you're new to our church or new to joining us online, um, we've been walking through a number of uh, chapters in the Gospel of John looking at Jesus' farewell discourse where Jesus is sharing at the end of his time with his disciples to say, here's what I want you to know. Here's what you need to know as I'm not going to be here much longer. We'll come back to that in a moment. And he wants them to be prepared for what's to come. And it's his farewell discourse to share with them all the things that he thinks they need to know before he goes to the cross. And here in this final part, this is our last week in the series, as Jesus is sharing his final words, he's equipping his disciples and us today to walk courageously, to walk courageously in the world that he has planted us to live as aliens and strangers, to walk courageously because we have everything we need in Christ. Do you believe that? A few people over here. Do you believe today that you have everything you need in Christ here today? Yes, there we go. We're alive. Oh, uh, we're, we're, we're awake. We're ready to go. Yeah, that we have everything in Christ today for what God has given us. When I say that, it literally takes me to an almost everyday process we have with our children. Uh, if you have kids, maybe you ask this. Um, I ask it all the time, specifically with the sports that my kids play is, do you have everything you need? Like literally, it's almost every day. We're going to soccer practice. We're going to soccer games. After this morning, it happened as we were leaving. As Sarah and I and the girls were leaving at the same time. And one of my daughters has a soccer game this afternoon at 2 o'clock. And literally, the question is asked, do you have everything you need? And most of the time, the answer, like you guys did. Is that a yes or no? I don't know what you just said. Do you have everything you need? And most of the time, they're like, yeah. Like, I asked you the second time, and you're like, yes. Of course, Jesus is everything, and we have everything we need, right? Absolutely. And it's amazing because my wife is unbelievable. Our house would burn to the ground if it wasn't for her. And everything is laid out perfectly. They're all washed and their soccer cleats and whatever else they put in that backpack they carry around. I don't know, Sarah knows. And it's laid out perfectly. She has provided everything they need, equipped my children to be successful when they leave the house. And asking is not her asking or me asking, is it available? It's asking, have you participated? Have you done your very small job of picking up your stuff and putting it into your backpack? Right? It's available. They have all that they need in Sarah. But have they engaged to take it for themselves, put it into their backpack for everyday living? My question is the same for you. Do you have everything you need in Christ? 
Yes. Are you taking full advantage of all that you have in Christ? Have you put it into your backpack? Christ has already done all the hard work, as we're going to see. He's already won the victory. I don't want to give away too much of the message. But have we engaged with all that we've been given for everyday life is what I want you to wrestle with today. Because the point of our text is at the end of the day that Jesus' victory, what he did on the cross, how he rose triumphantly over the power of sin and Satan and hell, Jesus already, through his victory, provides us with everything we need to follow him. And I'll come back to this at the end, but following is following. Notice I didn't say Jesus' victory provides everything you need to come to church and sit in the same seat you sit in every Sunday. No, Jesus' victory and what he's done on the cross has provided for us everything we need to follow in his footsteps in victory. We're going to see that today just as we finish, as we look at just a few. This isn't exhaustive, but just in our passage, some resources that Jesus has given us through his victory on the cross to supply and provide us everything we need in Christ. If you want to look with me, it'll also be in the screen there. Um, if you're watching online, for our, it will all be on the screen for all of you. Um, John 16, verse 25, look with me what it says. It says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Verse 27, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I have come from God. I came from the Father and I've come into the world and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father, or should I say he's going back to the Father. So the first thing that I want to point out that in our tool belt, essentially, of following Jesus, one of the amazing things that Jesus has given us through the victory on the cross is access to God the Father. Access. And that can't be understated, that we have been given access to the Almighty God every day in every aspect of our lives. You see, the disciples, as we've been sharing over the last number of weeks, have been overwhelmed. They're, 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 they're scared. They're, they're not sure what's going to happen. They're confused. Jesus is like, hey, uh, follow me. And then he's like, hey, I'm leaving. And when I leave, and he's talking in figures of speech. And now he's saying, hey, I'm not going to speak like that anymore. I'm going to tell you plainly what's about to happen. And they're overwhelmed because he keeps saying he's going to go and die. And hey, what's going to happen to us? And where are we going to go? And how are we going to know what to talk about? He's already said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit that will bring everything to light. And they're just overwhelmed in general. And now one of the resources, one of the things that Jesus wants to remind them to give them some, some hope, some peace as we're going to come to at the end of the day is that they have access to the Father. So he points them forward to a day when everything will be made plain, right? And he encourages his disciples, hey, one day the light switch is going to come on. One day it's just going to click, right? Because for a while you've been overwhelmed. You haven't really known exactly what's going on. You think you know what's going on. And in all that I've been saying, it really hasn't clicked completely. But he says one day there's going to be a time where it just clicks. You're not going to be under fog anymore. 
You're not going to wonder about Jesus, but you're going to see plainly. Essentially, they would be, after the resurrection, the time that he's looking forward to, when the Spirit of God comes and falls on them, they would experience what we get to experience right now. We get to see Jesus plainly. Through the gospel, through all of this history that we've seen, we see Christ for who he is, and that's why we're all in this room. But the eternal Son of God has left heaven and come to earth and made the Father known to us, is what he's saying. He made him known to us, and because of that, he's, he's very acquainted with the Father. And he says, at the end of the day, he tells us that, man, when the hour comes, when you ask in my name, he says, and I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, but this is key, what he says, for the Father himself loves you. He's saying, through me, Man, it's not going to be me anymore that's going to be like, hey, Father, will you do this on their behalf? He says, no, I and the Father are one. And previously he said, and you're one with us. Then at the end of the day, the Father loves you because you loved me and you believe that I am who I am. And because of that, I have given you full access to the God of the universe. And when you ask, he loves you enough to answer. He loves you enough to answer. Gary Berge comments on this. He says this, This hour is about access. Jesus himself has mediated the Father's presence to the world, and now the Father himself is accessible. There's a new circle of fellowship possible, listen to this, which now includes not simply Jesus and the disciples, but Jesus, the disciples, and the Father. And what will come, and the Spirit, on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes. We have this access disciples had access. You have access. We have access provided only because of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for us. That's why we sing songs like we sing, thank you, Jesus. You've entered my life. You've changed my heart. You've, you've called me and brought me to the Father that I now can have a relationship with the God of the universe. So now as, as people, you and I, there's no need anymore to suppose, like, Man, is God against us? Is the Father against us? Is, is he withdrawn? Is he, is he whatever? We're no longer in need, and I'm speaking to some people in this room, we are no longer in need of a mediator between us and the Father. He's brought us into the presence of God. Instead, Jesus gives us full access to the Father and brings us into his love that we might be able to experience him. Unbridled access to the Father There's nothing standing between us and God and the love of God. And I think many times as I'm looking out at hundreds of people that have probably heard that hundreds of times if you've been around church, sometimes that just goes over our head. Just think about that for a moment. At the end of the day, you have unhindered access to the God of the universe. That is a powerful, powerful thing. We have access and unhindered access to God the Father. It's like an all-access pass. You ever had one of those? Uh, Yesterday, my wife Sarah and I had the privilege uh, with a friend to go to a Michigan State game. Don't hold it against me. Um, uh, With her little brother, who uh, is a huge State fan. And uh, 
and they gave us these passes to go up in um, a special room. We had lunch up there and all this kind of stuff. It was kind of, you had this pass that got you access into this one room. It wasn't an all access pass. I couldn't go anywhere in the field. But uh, if you've ever had one like that at a concert, you come, you get a, a pass, it hangs around your neck, and it's an all access pass. There's nowhere that you can't go. You can go anywhere. You can walk backstage. You can do whatever. A number of times when Woodside has had concerts, whatever, I was one of the security. That's weird. I wouldn't be able to fight anyone off. But And you get to go in the very back, and you get to see the artists, and you're walking with people, and no one will tell you anything. Otherwise, as long as you have that pass around your neck, you can go anywhere and pretty much do anything, and no one's going to kick you out. Security's not going to haul you out back and, like, throw you out the doors like you see on the movies. And essentially, this is what we have in Christ. All access at any time, in any moment, walking with the God of the universe as Jesus has restored our relationship to the God of the universe and what fell back in Genesis. It's from Jesus. Amazing, unhindered access and communion with the Father. That's what he's trying to tell them. I'm about to leave, but at the end of the day, you're going to have access to the Father. At the end of the day, there's no need anymore for any type of mediator or priest or anything else because I am giving you access. Hebrews, there's a couple of passages in Hebrews that speak to us that are fascinating, unbelievable passages. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19, um, it says this. If you want to look at the screen and read it with me, it says, Therefore, brothers, since you have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Now that alone is a fascinating statement because back in the day, Jesus, or excuse me, God would dwell in the holy of holies. And no one was able to go in there, but the great high priest once a year, and if he wasn't clean and he didn't, he didn't make atonement for his sins, he would actually die. They'd have something uh, uh, tied around him that if he, if he didn't move for a while, the bells, you couldn't hear them, they would pull him out and he would be dead in the presence of God. Right? Listen to this. You have access or confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. That's how it happens. It's not by anything else. It's not by any good works. It's not any doing, going to church, giving money, any of that stuff. It's only by the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is through his flesh. Remember what happened on the day that Christ died? The curtain was split, broke top to bottom. That we now have access showing us a real picture into the Holy of Holies with the God of the universe. And he says in verse 21, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, that's Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure Man, I hope that passage sinks in. That because of what Christ has done on the cross, what he's done, we have access and relationship to the God of the universe that otherwise in the past no one has ever had. And particularly, it should change the way we approach God. I mean, it should change the way that we actually um, pray and are encouraged to pray every single day because of what Jesus has done, because what, of God, what God has done, we now are able to be in his presence This is the good news of the gospel, that no longer do you have to be worried that you're going to be struck dead in the presence of God. Now, I have full access to God the Father. And furthermore, it's not just, he says, begrudgingly, fine, come on in. Like sometimes we do with our children, we're tired, it's the end of the day, they want to play with us, or they want to come talk to us, and you're like, fine, I'm watching football Sunday afternoon, but you can come talk to me for a moment. 
No, it's, it's he actually loves us. He, he longs for us to be in his presence. It should change the way that we actually pray and go before God. That's why in Hebrews chapter 4, he says what? The writer of Hebrews says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. As followers of Jesus, we've been given access to God the Father. And my question is, do you have everything you need? Yes. Have you engaged with the access God has given you? I don't know. Are you approaching the throne of grace daily, weekly? Are you coming before God before you go before anything else and say, God, I need you. Today I need you. I need you to show up. I need you to walk with me. I need you to be with me. God, I don't know what to do in this particular place, but God, I know I have access to you. And it says, come boldly before your throne. And I believe that what you say is true. And I can... And my prayer changes things. It's like Tiffany said, this, this Friday night, we're going to gather in this place and we're going to pray over what God's put before us as a church. We're not just going to pray over boxes and pray over things. We're going to pray over our Christmas Eve services, all the things we're doing outside in Canterbury Village that maybe one person would have one conversation with the change, one life for, for eternity. We're going to pray over our kids. We're going to have prayer stations where we want to pray and go through before people you know that are lost. At the end of the day, we talk a lot about that God is the one who has to go before us, but do we actually live that way? Do we function that way? It's, and I'm not, I'm not guilting anyone here, but it shows up many times in these moments. We'll have a thousand people on Sunday morning here to sing some songs and hear the word, and we'll have 20 people in a room to go before God and ask him to go before us. And it shows sometimes, and I know we have busy schedules and lives and some people can't be there, but at the end of the day, it shows sometimes where we believe and we love Jesus. We love our relationship with him, but are we living out the access that God has given us to go before him as a body together to say, Lord, we can strive all we want. We can fill 2,000 boxes for Thanksgiving. We can play some Christmas music and invite people into our building. You know, a lot of things we're doing, but in, until, Lord, you go before us, you're the only one who changes people's lives, not us. And we want to cry out to you, Lord, to change this community for the kingdom of God. Not only access, but more quickly, he gives us clarity. Look with me in verse 29. His disciples said, oh, now you are speaking plainly. They're all confident. And not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anything to question you or anyone to question you, excuse me. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. He's like, you guys think that you know what you're doing? Yet I am not alone in verse 32 for the Father is with me. So here he gives some clarity to his disciples. His response to the disciples is regarding what Jesus has already said about the hour that was going to come. And in their minds, they were kind of thinking that the hour is now. Like, okay, you're speaking to us plainly. We figured this all out. 
and the hour really was what to come, namely after the resurrection, when all things would be known to them. And they're kind of like preemptively being like, hey, you know what? We know, Jesus. He says, they say, we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. Fast forward just a short bit, just a couple chapters, when Christ is dying on the cross, where are all of his disciples? They're gone. Man, if they knew so clearly and they knew all about it, and this is what Jesus kind of responds with at the end of the day, he says, hey, do you actually believe now? The time of complete understanding is coming when the Spirit will give you power. But until then, man, you, you don't have all of the wisdom you need. You're not empowered to do all that you can. And at the end of the day, the hour is coming. But, man, it, it, it's not quite now. And Jesus responds with a couple of things just to give them clarity uh, that they don't lose heart at the end of the day what he's going to come to next. And, and one of the things that he gives clarity about, the first thing he, he speaks to is he says, man, there's a moment of crisis that's coming. You're all going to scatter and flee. And at the end of the day, he really says, they're going to abandon him. So imagine when they're listening. They're like, we know who you are. No one needs to question you. And then the day, Jesus is like, do you believe? Just, I want to give you a little bit of clarity. There's a time coming in a short bit where I'll be all alone. And all of you are going to abandon me. Close with a quick song from his sermon, and we all leave depressed. Right? But he's giving clarity to them a picture for them and really for all believers that at the end of the day, this is what I love about this. At the end of the day, while they may betray him, while they may abandon him, God will never abandon us. He never will abandon them. This is a picture really for all believers at the end of the day when he, he says that the glue really at the end of the day of Christianity is that Jesus, who will not abandon the disciples or let them become orphans, even though they abandon Jesus and leave him without anything. Isn't that a great picture of who we are? Oftentimes, I will abandon Jesus for a lot of different things. I will walk in opposition of Jesus' way for a lot of different things. But the great truth of the gospel is no matter how far I go, where I go, what I'm into, God is always there waiting for me to come back to him. He never abandons me. And he says, man, you may abandon me, but at the end of the day, I will never be abandoned because God the Father will not abandon me. That's the second thing he shares, is that his relationship with the Father will not be interrupted. He will not abandon me, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Even though the disciples may abandon him, he will not be abandoned. And Jesus here is just giving clarity. Man, I want you to be really clear as to what's about to happen. He's already told them many things. He's giving them more clarity that, man, in a short bit, you're going to abandon me. But at the end of the day, I don't want you to lose heart. We'll come to that in a moment. And, and he's giving very clear instructions as to what's going to happen. Hey, you're going to abandon me. I'm going to be alone, but the Father's going to be with me. And you can imagine, as it all happens just a short bit later, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, and they've all scattered in fear to not give their life for him, here they are remembering the things that Jesus said. Can you imagine? They're probably like, man, Jesus is probably who he says. He said exactly what would happen, and it happened exactly the way that he shared it. Did you know that Jesus is very clear with us too? So it's not just the disciples that he gives clarity. We have so much clarity about what it is for us to live out. The mission of God, the identity of God, the identity of ourselves, our purposes, where God's calling us. 
You have everything you need in Christ Jesus. Yes, you have access to the Father, but you, just like the disciples, have clear instructions as to what's about to happen and what you should do engaging it, right? I mean, I hear so many believers in Jesus. Well, I don't know exactly what God wants me for my life. We do really a not great job as followers of Jesus with following the clear instructions of Jesus, the clear instructions of Scripture, and we get hung up on the minutia of trying to figure out the big stuff in life when we are actually prideful before the Lord. Man, I don't know who I'm going to marry. I don't know where I'm going to live. I don't know. And, 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 and the Scripture clearly says, like, we're not even promised tomorrow. I'm trying to figure out all this stuff like my whole life before God. And at the end of the day, Jesus is like, tomorrow just wake up and obey me and follow the simple instructions, the clear instructions that I've given you all throughout the scriptures. And we have a really clear mission. It's extremely humbled. Humbled and convicted last weekend watching people from all over the world come to one place, share about how their lives are being, how they're beaten for the gospel, they're jailed for the gospel, lost loved ones for the gospel. And with great joy, they stand before a group of three or 400 people and say, I won't stop sharing the gospel. And then here, we struggle to share the gospel. We have a really clear mission. Go therefore and make disciples. And man, I, I just, I'm convicted myself. How many disciples are we actually making? How many times have you shared the gospel? Have I shared the gospel? Are we engaging non-believers, our neighbors, our networks with the gospel? Are they seeing a clear, distinct difference about your life? I'm not talking about the collared shirt you wore in here, about the way you love and the way you listen and the way you're, you're, you're not condemning, the way that you, yes, Stand up against sin, but at the same time, you're living without sin. Do we have a clear distinctive? We have a clear mission. Are we engaging? We have a clear purpose to glorify God. Are we engaging? Do you have everything you need in Christ Jesus? Yes. You have access. Have you engaged with the Father? You have a clear mission and vision and where God is calling you and how to walk in obedience at the end of the day. But are you engaging? Am I engaging? And lastly, Jesus says the last thing he gives them is peace. Look what it says in verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. I mean, this is his goal. You just got done telling him, like, you're going to abandon me. I'm going to be all alone, but I hope you have peace about that. But he wants to give clear instructions. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I think a lot of preachers, people that share the word of God, hang up a lot, hang their hats on the take heart. I have overcome the world and forget about in this world, you will have tribulation. He says, man, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, but I'll give you peace. The conclusion of this farewell discourse is literally lands the plane on what he's been trying to do the whole time. Just give them peace, right? 
man, he says, man, I just want you to know what's going to happen. I want to give you a heart of peace as you walk forward. But what does that peace actually look like? What does that look like in following Jesus? What does that look like for the disciples? And then secondly, as we walk in obedience behind them, what does it look like for us to have peace? Is it that like you're going to live in a euphoric state and you have no bad days and no troubles, you'll never get flat tires, you'll never have financial woes, you'll never walk through cancer, you'll never lose a loved one, you never have people mistreat you? Does it, does it mean any of that stuff that all of our difficulties are thrown away and at the end of the day, we are just skipping down the yellow brick road of Christianity? So I think a lot of people actually think that. A lot of people maybe have been told that. Or rather, just a, a couple of chapters earlier, excuse me, a chapter earlier, we already walked through this. Jesus says, man, in this world, you will have trouble. Like if the world hates me, it's gonna hate you. You're my disciples. It's not gonna be easy. It's actually gonna be overwhelming. You already know that you're gonna be hated, but he says, man, in this world, you're gonna have troubles, tribulation, Right? So where's the peace? <laughs> you're going to have trials and troubles and you're going to be overwhelmed in this world and man, I hope that gives you some great peace. No. Why do you have trouble or why do you have peace in the midst of trouble and tribulation? Well, Jesus says it next. He says, take heart. Really in uh, the CSB, another translation would be to be courageous. In this world, you're going to be overwhelmed. You're going to have struggles. You're going to have tribulation. You're going to have trials. People are going to hate you for my sake. You're going to walk through some really overwhelming things. But I want to give you peace in the midst of all of that. And the way that I can give you peace is because, hey, I want you to take heart. Why? Take heart just to take heart. Take heart that you have some friends that are going to walk with you through it. Take heart because you're really gifted. Take heart because you have a lot of money. Take heart because, uh, you know, you have influence. Take heart because of whatever else. No, at the end of the day, what is the one reason we are to take heart as believers in Jesus because he has overcame the world no other reason he's been victorious he, he, he's, he's overcome he's conquered at the end of the day Jesus pointing forward to his victory on the cross and putting aside anything that could come against us as followers of Jesus He's saying at the end of the day, man, I am going to win the war. You're going to be in some small battles, but I've already won. Believer in Jesus, you can read the end of the book. We win, right? No matter what comes against us, what gives us peace, what gives us courage, what gives us the unction to follow Jesus is the fact that Jesus has already won. He's done it. That means I don't have to. I can rest in the victory of Jesus. It's already been done. Man, one of the passages of Scripture that speaks to this that I love is in 2 Corinthians. They won't have it on the screen. 2 Corinthians, in chapter 2, if you want to write it down, read it later. One of my favorite passages I go back to a time and a time again when I feel overwhelmed by what is coming against me, when I feel um, oppressed, when I feel tempted, uh, Second, or Colossians chapter 2 is an amazing passage. 
Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11, it says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the power working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all forgiven us all of our trespasses by, listen to this, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands and set aside, set them aside, nailing it to the cross. And oftentimes we stop there and it's much like Ephesians chapter two about what Christ did on the cross for us, our substitutionary atonement. He paid all of our, of our um, penalty and we got all of his righteousness. Amen? It's pretty good news. But then there's the next verse. He didn't just in that moment cover our sins, our brokenness. He also, in verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. It's, it's, I'm here to tell you, it's not just that your sins have been covered. It's not just that you have been made clean. It's not just that you've been reunited with the Father. It's not just you have all of this in Christ. Christ has already put Satan to open shame. Christ has already cut off the head of the dragon, if you will. We are walking in freedom, and there is nothing that could come against us in the name of Jesus. And that's what gives us courage. Yeah, we'll have hard times. We'll, we'll walk through troubling days. But the good news of the gospel is we're not under the pressure to secure our own victory. Christ has already done it. He's already won the war. We're just in the middle of the battle. This is the good news of the gospel. And I'm going to speak to maybe some people here in, in the moment or watching online. There's some of you in this room I know by the power of percentages that are still trying to secure your own victory. Maybe you've been around church your whole life. You've been around a different denomination of a church your whole life. It doesn't matter to me at the end of the day. You're still trying to work towards access. You're still trying to work towards peace. And you're just working at the end of the day to think like, man, I hope that Jesus is happy with me today because I actually came to church and I didn't go uh, do something else. And I'm just hoping that, man, uh, when I give some money like Jim asked us to, that, that it's going to make God's happy. And, and I know I did some bad stuff last week, but at the end of the day, man, I, I'm just hoping that that just all weighs out. And one day before I stand before the Lord, I, I'm just hoping that my good stuff outweighs my bad stuff. And and man, I just got to do some more stuff that some pastor or priest or other told me to do to make God happy. And I'm here to tell you today, there is nothing that you can do to make God happy. He's already happy. He loves you so much. He already gave his son for you. He's already secured the victory. All of it, like I said before, like my wife does for my children, it's all laid out on the table. It's already done. It's just whether or not we've, we've, we've actually participated, we've taken it, placed it for ourselves, and placed our faith and trust in Christ who already secured the victory so that we can walk in victory. So this is my question for you today. 
Maybe you're walking in a day where you don't have peace. You don't feel like you have peace with God. You're like hoping that he's happy. You don't know if he's happy. You don't have access to God. You, you go to other people so they have access to God. I'm here to tell you the good news of the gospel is Jesus broke down every wall. He broke every chain. He broke down every curtain so that you could have full access to God and you could have full peace with God and you could walk in that peace every single day knowing that he has already secured the victory in Christ. And my response is only, yes, Lord. And today, right now, whether you're watching online or you're in this room, you can respond to the gospel and just say to the Lord, man, I've been working for a long time to try and make you happy, to secure my own victory. And today, Lord, with everything I hear, I feel like you're drawing me to yourself. I wanna place my faith and trust in you today for the first time and all that Christ has done for me on the cross and nothing of myself. And today, if you say that in your own mind, your own heart, or out loud in your seat or online, Christ today will save you from your sins. That's it. And all of us in this place who know Jesus, we've already placed our faith and trust. And are you walking with peace and courage because you know the God of the universe who's already secured the victory. There is nothing that anyone can do for you. They can fire you from your job. Like my friends around the world, they can beat them. They can take away their finances. They can kick them out of villages. Your neighbors can think you're a Jesus freak. But there is nothing that they can do to separate you from the love of Christ. That is the peace that God gives us to walk in a world that it, we're going to have hard times. But take heart, Jesus has overcome the world. Today I want to share with you, you can rest fully in him as you walk in the crazy days that we're walking in today, knowing that you have everything you need in Christ Jesus to what? Follow him. So that's my question. Do you have everything you need? You do. Are you taking full advantage of everything that you have been given? Christ has laid it all on there. You have access to Father. You have a clear mission and vision of how to move forward in obedience and walking in him. It's found in the word of God. And you can have peace in Christ Jesus. In this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart. Jesus has already overcome the world. Would you stand here?